0: This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. To take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game
1: and good uh, good morning everybody What's at afternoon it's a nine o'clock in the morning. Not quite the afternoon, but it is a Saturday morning. That means it's officially time for Under the Dome with CD. Hopefully, you have a good Saturday so far, and you make it. Not just a good one, but a great one. And as always, we are coming to you live and live in color on 103.7 The Game. And we're live from the first South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Baby, we're looking good.
1: And it is absolutely opulent as per the use, and I appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through the free 103.7 Game mobile app, the smart speaker gimmicks that we always talk about, how you heard the, region, heard the little liner just about two seconds ago. So you know what we're talking about from that aspect, or if you're listening to us through that F, FM dial 103.7 on the FM dial.
0: The tower of power too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place.
1: Oh yeah and we are officially live for two hours on this Saturday and the best part of this Saturday is the fact that we've got so much to get to over the course of the next two hours because we have a new head coach. We've got a lot of weird stuff going on in the world of sports, especially in the collegiate ranks. Obviously, the stuff going on with the College World Series, the big news from that aspect. Obviously, I, ironically, I had some ideas for content. I might want to shoving some of those back towards next week. But trust me, we'll have plenty of time to get your take on a lot of the stuff that we got going on. We'll definitely save some time for you when it comes to the LSU coaching search and every single little thing in between. But now I think it's officially time to get down to brass tacks on this Louisiana Saturday morning and get down to what's causing all this. And we do it each and every Saturday to start off the show because I feel like it's apropos to get down with the Saturday sports sermon. (laughs)
0: The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testify. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon.
1: And the smoke came out of LSU a couple days ago because they have a new head coach. And it's the name we least expected in Jay Johnson. I had Mike Bianco, Tony Vitello, Cliff Gowan, in that order, it's kind of leaders in the clubhouse because their SEC ties and more importantly, probably having a little more endorsement of Skip Burtman and Palmineri is it still has the good old boys network feel to it from the LSU baseball perspective. i talked about that a lot, by the way, give me half credit here. I said by this time next Friday, we were going to be talking about LSU's new head coach. Maybe I shouldn't have said Mike Bianco, but you know, just give me a little half credit for that at least is you know what they say a broken clock is right twice a day and while I'm almost certain Jay Johnson wouldn't be the next head coach of the Tigers if he didn't already kind of kiss the ring if you will you have to think this was an executive decision from one Scott Woodward and he went into business for himself much like the Mountie he got his man and at the end of the day that's what you want if you're LSU you didn't want him to kind of go a route that maybe Joe Oliva would have gotten. We'll talk about him in a moment. But it really proves how in th- how we're officially in a new era of LSU athletics. Cause you know if it was somebody else in charge, the coaching search would have probably been led a lot by Skip Burman and Paul Veneer. Not a knock against them, but I feel like you would have had a you possibly could have had a retreat because you would have settled for candidate. X whenever you could have gotten candidate W or something like that. I'm just going off of different ideas because, you know, we've seen this issue pop up in the past with LSU. I think the only time they were able to nail it down right out the jump street was with everybody's favorite, Will Wade. Ed Ozron kind of sort of knocked out the park, but basically settled once he failed miserably and trying to get Jimbo Fisher to come over in the 2015 season. Then 2016 came around. He fired Les Miles midway through the season. Tried to get Tom Herman, allegedly. That didn't work out. I'd say thankfully to a certain extent that didn't work out for LSU because look what happened where he wound up going to. I'll just leave it at that. Then we have Maneri, the whole Maneri situation, and he retired. I guarantee you would have had probably a good old boy, and there would have been some ties somewhere else. And in my mind, one day I was kind of thinking about, and I got conversations with people about is the fact that you have LSU. Like, they probably would have gone to get somebody like Blake Dean if it was Joe Oliva running things. Because I guarantee you, it would have probably been Retreat City over there. With all due respect to Blake Dean, he would have been a major miss, and a lot of people would have been scratching their heads and probably asking for the head of Joe Oliva if they hadn't already. Because, let's be honest, The coaching searches at LSU over the years with Oliva at the helm weren't necessarily great, but so far, in my mind, even though they haven't played a single game yet, he's two for two in getting really good coaches. And again, it's like I've said from from the beginning, I was going to trust Scott Woodward no matter what, and he did it. He managed to get somebody who is really good, and we're not going to talk about hypotheticals anymore on this show, we're going to talk about what really is literal and factual, about what Jay Johnson brings it to the table. In case you don't know, this is your guy if you love Gorilla Ball. If you love the Gorilla Ball, of the old LSU era, maybe not necessarily the whole quality the quantity of home runs, but in terms of getting runs on the board, getting consistent hitting. This is your king. Just this past season, just using last season as a reference tool, led the country in runs and hits. Was the best amongst power five programs and batting average and slugging percentage. And it's coming off of a 40-win season and a second trip to Omaha in the last six seasons since he took over the job over in Tucson. And that first College World Series trip got started in a place not too far from the first South Farm Credit Studios, in case you forgot. He led the Wildcats in the Lafayette Regional back in 2016. That was his first year as the head honcho. And they were really one game away from winning a national title against Coastal Carolina coming from the... Lafayette regional over at the Teague when they beat the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns in the final. Excuse me. Actually, they beat them twice because they had to beat them twice because it came out of the loser's bracket after the Cajuns whipped them. I think it was like 10-0. And then they bounced back one in the first final game, and they played on the Monday in that if-necessary gimmick. And the Cajuns lost there. They haven't made a regional since. But I'm certain that's going to change sooner rather than later for the Vermilion and White and I gotten gotten forgotten it more because it felt like a lifetime ago, especially with COVID and whatnot. I didn't remember him being the head coach at that time. Heck, all I remember is the fact that Chris Christie was over there because Princeton was playing, and for some reason or another, Chris Christie took up about four or five seats in the bleachers. That said, the biggest issue for him is pitching. It hasn't necessarily been the calling card of this program. The end of the season, 80th in the country in ERA, but they also had a bright spot here. It's a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 2.40. That's 590 strikeouts to 246 walks. That's ranked 75th in the nation. I think if he wants to improve that, I would not be surprised if he goes the route of what the Cajuns have done, getting a guy like B.J. Ryan in on the staff and get somebody who has who had some level of experience playing in the MLB. I mean, I've been hearing rumors in terms of names potentially coming over from different programs and had experience in the MLB. Troy Tulowitzki is a name that I saw pop up from one Kendall Rogers the other day. But we'll find out a little bit more probably come Monday what the assistant coaching search is going to look like and who's going to take over and who left at LSU is going to be out the door because... I wouldn't be surprised at it because I think we got most everybody in terms of the important guys out the door. Your hitting coach is gone, your recruiting coordinator is gone, and your pitching coach is the last one standing. Does he stick around? That's kind of the million-dollar question, at least to me. But pitching is going to be the biggest issue for him as a head coach. If he just puts the onus on somebody else, I guarantee you the thing will probably be a little bit better. And the good thing is, this isn't like what we've seen in the past with coaches dealing with a certain thing called the MLB draft during the World Series or during a a Super Regional in past years. He's got a big test ahead of him. And it's the challenge of re-recruiting some of the guys to come back around for next year. Because you've got a real MLB draft to deal with this go round. This isn't, you know, the five round half ass BS we saw last year. You've got a real deal MLB draft to deal with this go round. And a lot of guys are probably considering taking that next step in their careers or next step in their lives. You've got to make sure to absolutely bring everything to the table. To keep some of these guys around. You're going to have to re-recruit guys as well who may be on the fence of entering the transfer portal because they wanted to play for Paul Maneri. Yes, they want to play for the team that's across the chest in LSU and the Tigers, but I feel like at the same time, they want to play for their guy in Paul Maneri. Maybe some of them will leave. I don't know that for sure. But it's something to think about, and it's something that he has to focus in on over the next few days. In next few weeks because the MMB draft is coming fast. You already had an MMB draft combine for the first time ever. I'd love for that thing to become well, just something you do in the future. But I'm interested to see how this entire thing does indeed turn around if you're the LSU Tigers and the future is looking a lot better than maybe what it was a couple weeks ago with the uncertainty and unknown. About a month later, we got the man. That maybe not everybody thought was going to be there, but it's still a name I think a lot of people should be keeping in front of mind for the next few years. Because I think they got a, got a great guy, and he already managed to flip over a commit Who's the top shortstop in all of California, probably one of the top of the country to come from the transfer, excuse me, to decommit from Arizona and commit to LSU. So we all know he's able to get some really big names. I'm intrigued to see how it's going to go over the next several months. See how recruiting goes more importantly, to see what happens with a lot of these guys that are there now and maybe going there if they don't necessarily get picked in that range that we always talk about. I think it's what, the ninth, 10th round is kind of that, that sweet spot where either they're going to take the opportunity or they're just going to come back for another year. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of just uncertainty about where this thing goes. But I think we're a lot more confident in the future of LSU baseball maybe we were a week ago when I was here on the show saying, by this time next Monday, or next Friday, I should say, we were going to have a new head coach at LSU. And I'm hopeful this is the right guy. Because if it's not, it's not going to look good on the resume for one Scott Wilward, The athletic director for LSU is absolutely going to be getting a lot of hate, a lot of heat. From people, because of the fact that if you fall short on this, what's the next part that you're going to fall well short on? It's a justifiable question. In my mind, I'm sure a lot of people's minds. That's why, if you have the time, get in on the conversation, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Hopefully you have a great Saturday morning. It's under the dome with CD. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll keep the conversation going a little bit on college baseball, but more along the lines of what's going on. And last night, a wild College World Series Friday that started off wacky and then took a turn. I think many people were kind of mixed about. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and uh, 103.7thegame.com.
0: considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game 103.7thegame.com and I was talking about, you know, we just heard that problem with the Houston Astros kind of triggered a memory there is that the Houston Astros, they didn't have a game Yesterday, but they'll have a seven inning doubleheader later today. And in fact, in just a few short hours, 12 10 first pitch for game number one. 5 10 is going to be your scheduled first pitch for game numero dos. So you got that going on on a Louisiana Saturday. You know, it's a doubleheader, double the pleasure, double the fun, and you'll hear it all right here on 103 seven the game. The Astros are looking to get wins number 12 and 13. More importantly, Get to unlucky 13, you set a new franchise record, 13 straight wins. Which, if it happens, that will be absolutely massive. If you're a fan of the Astros, make sure you listen in later today. Right here at 103.7, the MT, You're one of the hottest teams in all of baseball. Try and go for number 12. and If they win, they get to number 13. If they sweep the doubleheader, number 13, baby. That's exactly what you've been waiting for, hopefully, the day off didn't hurt him, not one bit. I believe Frambert is supposed to start game one. They probably are more a TBD for game number two. Let me see. I just got my Stathead newsletter, which is really cool, by the way. And I'll talk about one other thing that happened yesterday in Major League Baseball, probably a little bit later on in the show, because that was really kick-ass. What happened with the Philadelphia Phillies? For once, something actually good happened with the Phillies. What do you know? But the Astros, again, doubleheader today. and It'll be Frambert Valdez. Four 0 with a 1.67 ERA will be on the mound. Detroit is switching it up a little bit, bringing on former Auburn Tiger. Many LSU Tiger fans are going to hate hearing this name, Casey Mize. I'm sure that set off a lot of PTSD for some fans who who hated seeing Casey Mize on the mound for Auburn. Whenever they whenever he played against LSU, this is a former number one pick that quickly like got called up to the to the show, and he's done decent in the big so far. This season, not necessarily as great four and four with a 3.61 ERA. So hopefully we don't see him just set it off again. And then in the second game, I don't think they have an, oh, they do. They do. Willie Peralta was supposed to start last night. Is he be starting game two and Lance McCullers is going to be getting the start for game number two. So that's really cool. And I, I, I'm kind of remembering all the stuff that happened last night, especially with Aaron Nola. I'll go ahead and say it now. He, had a phenomenal game, number one, and the Phillies wound up winning. Like he's had some games where he put it together. I was talking with him, uh, our guy Jim Cazzolo yesterday about this briefly. Is the fact that he's had some really like solid performances. It's just never able to secure the bag because of a lack of run support. In case in point, this was exactly that kind of situation. It was a doubleheader, and Aaron Ola struck out 10 straight batters. Tying record that was set all the way back in 1970 by the original Tom Terrific, New York Mets pitcher Tom Seaver. That was really cool when I saw that pop up yesterday. And probably the one former, current, whatever, LSU player that maybe did something good. I saw somebody bring up late last night. Slash earlier this morning, mind you, I've lost all concept of time because of all the stuff that's going on over the last like 12 or so. Actually, the last probably almost 24 hours and all kind of starts with Omaha. And this came out at one in the morning. First of all, not exactly the greatest thing in the world, but I'll go ahead and say something controversial and something to the contrary of what the professor was saying earlier. The NCAA did the right thing at, at 1 a.m. in the morning. Maybe not release this at one in the morning when most normal people were dead asleep, but the premise behind this was the right decision. You disagree with me? The 1037 game hotline is wide open: three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. Yes, I understand the optics aren't great when it comes right down to it. I understand it sucks for the players. It sucks for. The opponent in Vanderbilt that probably wanted didn't want to go to the finals this way, but it needed to happen because first of all, that team was already down to 13 players. We'll get to that number in a minute. And they already burnt a couple of the pitchers they already had in yesterday's game against Vanderbilt. That puts another team, that puts the other team at a clear disadvantage or advantage if you're Vanderbilt, you have, you have a clear advantage. Because you're going to wind up throwing out one of your aces, be it Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, and you can very well just beat them down. And then, you know, what happens if even more positive COVID cases pop up from the NC State side to where they can't field a team? I guarantee you they're not going to wait 10 days to go ahead and play that best out of three. And that's more on the doomsday scenario if somehow somebody they won on Friday afternoon. Don't forget, NC State was undefeated going into this game, so if they won, they would advance automatically to the finals. Because, again, everything the NCAA has done has been under a model of we are going to get to the end of the road no matter how much we have to sacrifice. Look at what happened with the Sun Belt title game as a prime example. That didn't happen when it should have. Of COVID 19 tests. I understand the why. Shouldn't have happened that way. I understand. Again, I understand why they did it. Wasn't a fan of that. VCU got taken out, got booted out of the NCAA tournament because of COVID cases in basketball back in March. Understood that. That was the right thing to do because the same thing happened with the LHSA back in December. When Karen and there's a handful of other teams too, but Karen Played a team, was supposed to play a team in the first round that came down with, with the COVID. That team got out. Canary Crow advanced to the next round. And next thing you know, they won a state championship. I'm not going to put an asterisk on that. I'm going to say you played under the rules that you were in, set in because of unusual circumstances. It was an unusual year. It was a COVID year, but at the same time, it's still a championship. And as a proud alum, I'm going to take that. And it's again, it sucks for the players. And probably would have been a, a doomsday scenario if the, NC State had won on Friday afternoon. But the decision was made, and it was the right call. It was, I, I cannot say that enough. It was the right call. And if you disagree with me, again, the phone line's open 337 706 0111. And one of the big reasons why is because of the fact of what Kendall Rogers said a few hours ago Does this cat ever sleep? the game didn't end about 2 a.m. last night or didn't get started until around 2 last night between Texas and Mississippi State and Texas wound up winning we'll probably talk about that game a little bit later because that was highly entertaining but apparently because they had two unvaccinated players test positive for COVID this week it prompted the NCAA to test the entire roster including vaccinated players And four positive tests came from that round of testing, which prompted the no-contest ruling. Now, there's no word if maybe all those guys were vaccinated or what have you. God only knows. They, they, They won't tell us because obviously there might be a HIPAA violation. They're trying to cover their asses, and that makes sense. But just based off of what that says... And all four of the positive tests were individuals in the dugout for Friday's game against Vanderbilt. So it makes sense. So think about it. Basic math tells me that of the 13 players that were on the field yesterday and you have four testing positive for COVID, they're out. That would leave you with nine players on your roster. Nine freaking players. And the NCAA did the right thing here. If one person got injured during that Vandy game or something happened, if it was played today, they'd have to forfeit due to not having enough players. Easily headed into it with a bare minimum players you can have to play a baseball game. And even if you, like, if you somehow win that, then you're even more at a disadvantage because now you're basically going to be burning somebody's arm like clean off. If you're a pitcher, is that guy's gut? probably had to play nine innings of or 27 innings potentially of baseball over the course of three days. That's going to kill a pitcher's arm. And you can't necessarily guarantee the, the NCAA is going to go ahead and let this thing sit back and then push it back a few days to make sure they can reach that threshold. That's not going to happen. Get that out of your minds. So I'm almost certain no one wanted this to happen because it's an unfair advantage for Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt probably didn't even want to deal with this. I understand. Vandy is probably a clear advantage in this because Jack Leiter will be starting game one and get a couple extra days rest while Texas and Mississippi State play tonight. Determine who moves on. I understand all that. But I'm telling you, this was the right decision. Because the NCAA, at the end of the day, it was always going to reach the logical end point. It was always going to reach its end game of getting to the finish line at the desired time. It didn't matter what they did. Yes, again, it sucks for the players, but it's all about getting to that finish line if you're any league. I guarantee you the NBA did the same thing essentially. Don't forget, I mean, somehow, someway, Chris Paul comes down with COVID and the sun's already swept in the Western Conference semi, so they have plenty of time to make sure everybody was tested, everybody came out clean on the other side, and then you go back in action, and the Suns take a 2-0 lead, and then Chris Paul comes back, and boy, oh boy, that was... Maybe not, he maybe was suffering from some of the after-effects of COVID and came back a little bit too early. At least this is something I think we all noticed. But the College World Series has been insane, and it'll reach that end game early next week. If it's going to be three games, if it's going to be two games, that's to be seen, that's to be, to be determined. And honestly, even though I said from jump that I wanted Vandy to win the title, I'd kind of love to see Texas win it all, though. And it's more because the last few games I've watched with Texas have been wildly entertaining. Hell, you had, during last night's contest, you had just a bizarre series of events with pitching falling apart a little bit, and then they wound up, the Mississippi State tied it up 5-5, and then similar things happened with Texas on the offensive side of the ball. They, like, The Hispanic Titanic, which may be a top-tier name, and this guy definitely deserves a statue or something. And I was like, holy hell, when I saw that last night, this cat absolutely rocked it to another level. The Hispanic Titanic for the Texas Longhorns, and just the name alone is phenomenal. And i talk about Yvonne Melendez, he absolutely went ballistic on a ball. Sent it, like, all the way down the line. In fact, Texas' president, uh, one of my friends sent me this, and I loved it, is the fact that Jay Hartzell, the president of Texas, saying, can I rename a building Melendez Hall? Hell yeah. If this dude keeps crushing home runs, give it to him. You just figure out a way to do it. Hell, I mean with the NIL now, you probably wind up pulling it off. So give me that. I would love to see that kind of setup. And you know, something people kind of forget about is the fact that, you know, we nearly ran into this exact same issue back in January, heading into the national title game. Because don't forget Ohio State wound up having a couple co- a few COVID cases, but the fact they were able to get to the end of the road. And get to this point was, I think, more because of the fact that you have way, I mean, way more players playing for Ohio State football than you would for baseball teams because it's about a 20-something man roster. It's a lot like basketball. If one person gets sick and you got to put everybody else in contact tracing due to COVID, you probably aren't going to be able to put together a team for the next two weeks more likely than not unless somehow some way all these guys didn't test positive or something or there was a false positive or whatever I mean we saw it so much in the NFL I mean you had the Denver Broncos infamous game where they literally had no quarterbacks available and somehow some way they got that game played on Sunday I don't know how I don't know why but they did it it may have been a completely unfair advantage and maybe the league should have thought about things a little bit more, but you know that's just the way it is. And the biggest thing for me is you weren't going to get this date pushed down the road. I think that's a big reason why we got to this point. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. Under the Dome is going to be coming back next. We're going to get into the Pelicans coaching search because that thing's been pretty quiet, and hopefully there is an announcement very, very soon because we have a lot of time between now and... And the start of the season but more importantly the coaching carousel is starting to slow down everywhere else back after this on 103.7 the game and 103.7 the game.com
0: The preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's sports station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. 337 111 337 If you want to get in on the conversation, we got some time to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, but if you want to kind of. Shift the conversation a little bit more towards what's going on with LSU or whatever. We have plenty of time to jump in on that right here on 103.7 The Game. Appreciate you listening in. Hope you are having a great Saturday morning. And there's a lot of rain. Apparently there was a lot of flooding at in Detroit this morning. And Dusty Baker is actually saying that Comerica Park is soaked right now. Coming from guys like Channel Rome and Brian McTaggart, saying that some pipes burst even, and Dusty Baker saying, I mean, apparently Comerica Field is soaked all over the place, and Dusty Baker said during the Zoom call earlier today, or just it's going on right now, I should say earlier today. It's nine o'clock in the morning, but he's saying, Hey man, we just put our flippers on and adjust. The field's wet, everything's wet. I I'm like hell yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. Just don't care what else is going on. Let's get this game in. And again, I understand why everything happened with the NC2A and the 17 doubleheaders are weird as all get out. Hopefully, it's one of the few times. This is why I love the fact that the Astros have a retractable roof. This is why every single team in the league should have it. Like I, I'm going to continue to say that until it actually happens. That. Baseball has to deal with the elements. And, yes, I understand the elements are sometimes, you know, rain. Even in the case of Colorado, the the Astros played in Colorado and it was snowing during a, mid, during a midday game. Completely understand what's going on there. But that was just not a great look. But hopefully, you know, we don't see too many more of these. Because obviously the Astros do play at home after this series. Against the Baltimore Orioles. Again, the Astros have every chance to wind up getting their, like, s- obliterating their win streak if they can take this doubleheader a later today. But I want to g- give you some information about some other stuff we got going on inside our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com because it's about damn time. You get in on the action at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter, and more importantly, it's free to join. You won't be spammed with a ton of emails. Don't you worry. And guess what? you get the opportunity to win some phenomenal stuff, like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. But you can only win by joining 103.7 The Game and the clubhouse today at 103.7thegame.com. Once again, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. You are the rejoin earlier by me and Po' Boys. And trust me, after the show last Saturday, I wound up getting a Po' Boy, and it was fantastic. And you go to half-shell oyster house, you get some fantastic, dare I say phenomenal seafood in your life. So we got that going for us, which is pretty darn nice. Meanwhile, the New Orleans Pelicans, the coaching search continues to just be a thing that happens. But things need to kind of hurry up a little bit in my mind. And a big reason why I'm saying this is because of the fact that you're seeing coaches, coaching searches come to an end. Case in point, yet, just yesterday you had the Trailblazers. I, I mean, yet in the last two days you have had Rick Carlisle come over and go back to Indiana. Jason Kidd, which we'll talk about that probably at the end of the hour. Jason Kidd is now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. The Portland Trailblazers last night looks like they're going to be lining up. Chauncey Billups as the next head coach of the Blazers. Interesting there. Now it's starting to feel like the two candidates, and I said it last night on Twitter, and I'll say it again. Why isn't it a Kenny Atkinson? You missed out on the first time. Like, What is the matter with him, and why not take that opportunity? Because I think you've got to try and at least give this dude a chance in the interview but apparently the two guys on the top of the list and they're two I think good to great candidates I'm just not necessarily sure if they're going to be the guy that can get this franchise back up off the mat Charles Lee and Jacques Vaughn I don't I don't have all my notes about them in front of me but I think I'd much rather Jacques Vaughn over Charles Lee. Mind you. Again, I'd take Kenny Atkinson over both of them. And it makes me wonder, like, why wasn't he ever considered for that job? Why wasn't he ever? I, I, I'm i still blown away that it was there. And, you know, Jacques Vaughn, I think if they get him from the Nets, that'd be a huge get for them. And I love how... Sully, the Cajuns, one of the Cajuns' SIDs, he put out saying, Becky Hammonds, you got to call line one. I'd love that. But she's not answering that call, number one. And number two, like she's 100% going to be taking over the job at San Antonio whenever Pop retires. When that happens, I can guarantee you that's exactly where that thing's going to go. But it's been twenty minutes, twenty. It's been twelve months, excuse me, almost twelve months since they fired Alvin Gentry, and since I said on this show that they should have hired him after they fired Alvin Gentry, like live as it happened, they announced that they were firing Alvin Gentry here on the show. I said immediately, give me Kenny Atkinson. I think he's a guy that got, got the ruck cut out from underneath him a little bit too early. So i I'm, I'm telling you. That's where I'm at on this. And hopefully you're in the same camp I am that I want to see the Pelicans get somebody that's really, really solid. But let's go out to the the game hotline. Hello, you're on under the dome.
2: Hey, C D it's Ralph. How hey, you doing? Hey Ray? Ralph, what's good? Hey man, look, I I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I haven't been a huge NBA fan since back in the uh, in the seventies and eighties when I watched it religiously. So uh you know, I just kind of spot watch it now, but I just kind of wanted your opinion on on this. What do you think the chances are of the Pelicans actually staying in New Orleans? Their lease runs out in twenty twenty four with the Smoothie King Center. I just get the feeling that that this has kind of always been the back burner to the Saints and. You know, we, we, it's already been proven. It's, the coaches aren't the issue. Yeah. Um, you know, Monty Williams is certainly having success other other places. Yeah. Um, you know, the front office has really been disappointing. Uh, but but the, more importantly, is players just don't seem to want to be here. You know, the market's not big enough for them. I don't know what their average attendance is, what what they're doing, but um, in that regard, but the TV market's too small. The endorsement. You know, opportunities aren't there, and I just, I just don't see him. La, I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong because obviously, any kind, of, you don't want to lose a pro franchise. But um, just kind of thinking long term, I, I, I see him going somewhere else. And I'm gonna I'm a hang up and listen, but I want to just throw one more thing out. The professor was kind of giving his analysis of what he thought Jay Johnson had had to accomplish in his first ten years. And included in that was two world, two College World Series. And, you know, every, the LSU fans have kind of put Paul Minerian on a pedestal, and he brought, what, one in 15 years? So I think two in 10 would be really asking a lot. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that. No, exa- day,
1: exactly. But mind you, we're talking about LSU fans, and we're talking about the professor. I got to say this. The professor is out of his mind. Like, I understand you want to – Win as many college world series titles, but at the end of the day, you're in this, you're in the SEC where you're going up against Vanderbilt, you're going against Tennessee. Mississippi State's still going to be a power for probably a good while. Two and ten is a damn near long shot. Now, trips to Omaha, two and ten years, if you're getting that numbers, you're gone. I think you need to have, in order for this to be considered a success in a 10-year span. Now, of course, who knows if we're all still going to be here in 10 years. That's a different conversation for a different time. But I like what you said, Ralph, about the Pelicans. I'll probably save that more for the last segment, but I'll get to the LSU stuff right now. Is LSU, I think that you're going to have a situation where they have to win a World I think if they, they win a College World Series once in t- any you brought up, put Palmineri on a pedestal. You know, you're know, you putting Skip Bertman on a pedestal. Because it's always going to come down to what the pre what the biggest name did. It's the same thing with Nick Saban. It's always you're always going to be chasing the past, chasing the past because the expectations are so high. If they can get two and ten, I'd say this is a massive success. I guarantee you that's going to be a lot easier said than done because the level of talent, especially in the SEC, is pretty damn tough. The, the level of difficulty that Jay Johnson has going into it, because you're dealing with the Floridas, you're dealing with the you're dealing with the Mississippi States, you're dealing with the old Misses of the world. Trust me, this isn't going to be a cakewalk. Add the fact that now A&M, they could be a contender. We'll talk about that and so much more probably later on in the show. If you want to get on the conversation, 337-706-0111. We'll be back after this quick timeout, and I'll get to the The Pelicans question with Ralph. If I don't, I'll get to it to start hour number two. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game.
0: Even in these trying times, the world famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. He's got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. It
1: certainly would be a lot cooler if you did. Just keep listening to Under the Dome with CD. Hour number one. We're starting to wrap it up. I'm going to get to Ralph's question about the New Orleans Pelicans to start off hour number two because I want to kind of make sure I got all my some of my facts straight with this. Because I've talked about this before, I think that the New Orleans Pelicans probably, in the next like ten years or so, they're going to be moving on. In fact, I talked about it last week on the show. I talked about it briefly. I talked about a lot to open up the show. Is that because there's so much bad going on with this franchise? You got to think that this could very well just snowball into a complete and utter disaster. And it's just because of the fact that this franchise just continues to have moments where they fall well short of a mark that's been established by a fan base that wants to see nothing but the best. And that's a great thing to hear, that there's a fan base for the Pelicans in New Orleans. But it's so minuscule. In the 2019-2020 season, the average attendance for a home game for the Pelicans, this is coming from Statista. I pu- I just pulled this up right before we went to break. And just looking at the average attendance, it's around 16,604, which is about what your average is, attendance is for a Cages game. Which, mind you, that's two, that's apples to oranges. But I think there's potential where things will move because the numbers have fluctuated. And I'll talk about that more when we come back. So, just keep it locked right here on 1037 the game. It's under the dome with CD. Went a little bit long in the middle segment, so we didn't have enough time to really get to everything I wanted to get to, especially the dumpster fire that is the Dallas Mavericks and hiring Jason Kidd. What the hell is going on? We'll talk about that more next right here on 1037 the game, on 1037thegame.com.
0: This should be played at high volume preferably
3: in a residential area.
0: Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look Under the Dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, The Game.
1: And welcome everyone. Our number two of two of Under the Dome with CD. And we are still coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios.
0: here this worldwide.
1: And of course, we appreciate you listening in, however you're doing, so be it through that FM dial.
0: He is the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man.
1: And hopefully you're enjoying yourself, especially if you're listening on that free mobile app, the .dot .com gimmicks. Or more importantly, as you heard, the smart speakers, which almost triggered my phone to start playing it, which would have been great, another listener on the app. But, you know, I would have known that was me and you would have been hearing me in an echo, which, mind you, hearing me alone, maybe a little bit of a mixed bag. But I got a call from Ralph a little bit earlier. I'll reset that real quick. He said, you didn't know the feasibility about the Pelicans staying in New Orleans, about if they will stay in New Orleans. I'll add this caveat to, the, to this question. Is... That there's a really good fan base here. It's a die hard fan base. But is it enough to truly justify keeping a franchise around if you're Gail Benson? I think Gail keeps this place, keeps it around. Because he can renew the lease at any time. I wouldn't be surprised if she does so. Because she's proven that she wants to have this franchise stick around for the long haul. Because that's and she loves New Orleans, and she wants New Orleans teams to stick around and be kind of that leader in the clubhouse, if you will. I think there's no reason to think otherwise, because if she didn't, I guarantee the second if she didn't, I guarantee the second Tom Benson croaked, she probably would have sold the team and had moved them to Las Vegas. Because you've got to love New Orleans to be able to just and keeping New Orleans teams in in this town, in that town, to really think this is going to be worth it. And I'll give you some stats in a little bit, because I pulled up the average attendance over the years, and mind you, Statista, the place I was looking at, they only have it up from 2006 to 2007 season, but I'll give you the averages for the first few years of the Pelicans as well and give you a reason why I'm not necessarily sure we can kind of say, you know, things are bad on the whole comparative. Comparatively speaking, of course. We'll go out to the 10370 Game Hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome.
3: Yeah, I think the Pelicans can make money and stay around, but it's going to be imperative that Bill Benson are the GM. <laughs> yeah. David Griffin's not the guy. Just let me say that. I mean, oh, no, I'm with you.
1: I'm with you. They've made
3: numerous mistakes in management over the years, and that's the problem. I mean, you've had Chris Paul, you have Anthony Davis, you've got Zion now. You've had the players in the nucleus to be not maybe a title winner but a contender. But management has never done a good job of surrounding those guys and players. And until they get solid management in, I think that's the issue. I mean you gotta realize David Griffin was out of out of NBA. He was doing analog yeah. work and he was hired. Yep. And his only claim of fame is, you know, being a part of LeBron championships. I mean, there's a lot of GMs who could tie this up to
1: LeBron, you know. <laughs> no, exactly, and th- and the fact yeah. that it's like the the thought process of hey, you know, David Griffin helped bring LeBron back to Cleveland. That's the only reason why people really know him. But at the same time, he didn't really bring him to Cleveland. It's more right, I, but it's it's mind boggling to me to see the exact. And you bring it up exactly what I'm saying. It's the front office has been the biggest issue. But at the same time, you're saying not a title contender. I'll, I'll add an asterisk there. I'll get your thoughts on this. Is do you think the Pelicans could be a lot more of a contender if they weren't pulled? Because the first few years they were in the league, they were in the Eastern Conference, which is a lot objectively weaker. And I feel like the Pelicans oh, yeah, probably would probably would be a contender for it, be able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple times, maybe during the LeBron James reign of terror. But you still would have made the playoffs a lot more. And maybe drum up more interest that way. The fact that they moved them over to the Western Conference has hurt them significantly.
3: Oh, I agree with that. But at the same time, if Phoenix could rebound like they did from being the worst team in the league to where they are right now, yeah, yep. but that's that's the result of proper management and a guy like Monty Williams. Yep.
1: Mind you, I I, Mind I, I, sure. I I appreciate the call, man. Don't be a stranger. All I want right. I want to get you in on some more conversation about the Pel's down the road. This is a lot of stuff to get to from the Pelicans' perspective, but what I'm saying is I think the fact that you're in the Western Conference, it's hurting you because now you're having to pretty much every single night play a lot of really bad teams, play a lot of really good teams, and you're kind of like that that bottom half of the of the conference. That means more likely than not you aren't getting into the playoffs. And if you're not Golden State, if you're not the Lakers, now if you're not the Suns, and mind you, I think the Suns, a little bit more beneficial for this year than anything. And I've always said this, and I'm going to stick to my guns on saying that I think Monty Williams was let go at the right time from the New Orleans Pelicans. Because he wasn't getting anywhere with that team, and I've said this before, and it's a conspiracy theory that I still have. The fact that we have the, like, Anthony Davis was the face of the franchise. I guarantee you he had every bit of clout because if he did, if it was going to be either him or me type thing, and either he goes or I go. No mind you, left a few years later once he realized Alvin Gentry and his Warriors light style wasn't going to be good for him. And, of course, LeBron James does his thing and and everybody turns the other eye. But when it comes to the Pelicans and the future of them staying here, I think it's all hinged on Gail Benson, but Gail Benson has to say, hey, I need somebody that knows what they're doing and is a good general manager and can actually do things the right way. Not just get – like." let's be honest. David Griffin, Stan Van Gundy, both of these guys before they took over their jobs were guys that were doing analyst work on the four-letter network. I understand that they seem to be smart guys in the sense of they know they know basketball, but brother, that's not going to get you anywhere. That is not going to solve your issues. The biggest thing that you need to solve is get your front office, get your blame together, find somebody that can actually be a halfway decent general manager and know how to build this team and get the right players. Instead of going ahead, I mean, mind you had to trade off Drew Holiday anyways. That was going to be an inevitability, but you traded him off for spare parts. And some of those didn't even work all that well. You had to rely on Zion Williamson to pick up the slack. Steven Adams, maybe maybe in the better part of this offseason, this bleep show of an offseason. The Pelicans are a mess from top to bottom. I can understand that. And you look at the numbers. The Pelicans' attendance over the years has waned a lot. I mean, just looking at the way the history of the Smoothie King Center has been Over the years, formerly the New Orleans arena for NBA basketball games. It's been from 17,200 at the beginning of the Hornets era. Then you have the Pelicans era. It it dips down a little bit to 17,103, then just over 17,000 for like one year during that lockout season. And then from 2014 to now, maybe once COVID is kind of over and we get to see a hundred percent attendance, it's 16,867. So you can remain profitable under those numbers, but you're going to be well below like that average in terms of your attendance. And I'll throw these numbers out here real quick. Your first year, the Pelicans were 15,650 average attendance in 2004, 14,332. And the OKC year, which we can kind of push away because it was the 5 season, and you had 14,221. And after that, you had a peak of 17,833 in the year they came back to New Orleans in 06, 07. That was a playoff year, if I'm not mistaken. 17,833. That was pretty much standing room only. With that with the attendance numbers they had at the time. After that, they've ranged from fourteen to 16,000. Yep, you heard me right. The highest they've ever had is 16,505. They still are drawing since 2014. They've largely been drawing a packed house. 16,000 average. Of course, there's some games that are less than others. More or less, all that stuff. There's a lot of variables. But if you're able to have that kind of attendance over the years at Smoothie King Center, and Gail Benson looks at that and looks at the numbers and says, hey, we're still drawing a really good number. We're going to go ahead and extend that lease. I would not be surprised one bit that we see that announcement. We see them stick around for a few more years. Now, if Zion Williamson's gone when it's all said and done, this is going to be a situation where Gail Benson has to really consider cutting her losses. I think that's something you're going to have to deal with for years. But now more than ever, 2021 is a huge prove-it year. The 2021-2022 season is a prove-it year for this franchise for a lot of people. Namely, one, you know, David Griffin. Can he prove he can get a competent head coach that isn't a jabroni? Jacques Vaughn, I think they would be a great pick, mind you. I think there's a lot of other people that I'd much rather want. Kenny, Atkinson being one of them. And if they don't do that, and we go through another coaching search in 2022, I guarantee you Zion Williamson's going to want out, and he will he will run to Los Angeles or any other program franchise that will need that will want him, and you'll get spare parts because the front office. And I'll say this: if you have a bad season this year. Gail Benson either needs to needs to bleep or get off the pot, crap or get off the pot. Let's just go ahead and call it that way. She needs to make the decision. Either she's going to fire David Griffin or sell the team. Because if she keeps David Griffin around, this team falls below the mark of being a team that is in the play-in tournament, then there's a lot of questions about the future of this franchise. Because I guarantee you, Zion Williamson doesn't want to be part of a losing team year in and year out. Doesn't want to be part of jabronis. He'd probably much rather go play for the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden where more often than that, they could fall apart at any given moment. He'd probably much rather play for the Brooklyn Nets and with a super team like KD, Howard, and Kyrie Irving, which would be a great thing for his future because he'd win a championship and his legacy would be there. He'd probably much rather play for the Lakers or anybody else. But this franchise with the, like the Pel- this future of this Pelicans franchise hinges on this season. And it feels like I'm getting tired of saying it. It's the most important offseason in the f- franchise's history. We say it with the Saints this year. This is the most important offseason. He's got to determine who's going to take over for, the, for Drew Brees when it's all said and done. The Pelicans have to make uh, some real tough decisions and figure out who the right person is to fit this job, not just get the fifth or sixth choice. Go try and get your first damn choice. The time's running out on the coaching carousel. Thankfully, you were able to avoid Jason Kidd for the second straight season. Thank God for that. Now you got to try and figure out who are you going to get? And if they go get another analyst, I want David Griffin fired tomorrow. If that happens the next day, I want David Griffin fired because we can't have another damn analyst running this team, being the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. That's not the way this future is going to be. If I see that, I'm going to be throwing up here inside the first South Farm Credit Studios. I will gladly just throw up every single time I talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. I will throw up in the trash can I have inside the first South Farm Credit Studios. If they get another jabroni guy that was a former player or coach that's now doing analyst work for ESPN or NBA TV or Fox Sports 1 or whatever. We don't need that. What we do need is a actually good head coach. You need a competent one, an up-and-coming assistant. If it's Jacques Vaughn, Jacques Vaughn is the guy. Charles Lee, I'm sure maybe not everybody will like it, but Charles Lee could probably be a lot better than somebody like a Stan Van Gundy that could probably reach the players a lot more, not have a tenuous relationship with the one guy you have on a max deal right now in Brandon Ingram. Now it's more important about trying to figure out after that, you got to figure out what you're going to do with Lonzo Ball. Are you going to rely on having him be the guy that's going to lead things? I'm not necessarily sure you're going to if you're the Pels. For me, I think it's time to start really analyzing every last bit of this franchise from top to bottom, and figure out who fits and who doesn't into this team. And obviously you're going to be working with a lot of stuff with your draft picks in 2021 this year. You're picking 10th. Get somebody that can shoot the bleeping ball. And don't get a defensive-minded coach because that is a bad way to go about it because the league is not about defense anymore. It's about offense. It's about getting guys that can shoot threes. And I was hearing the two minute drill Hannah and somebody from Gonzaga. If that's who they get, that'd be great. Because spoilers, Gonzaga can shoot. That's what you need. you need. You need shooters. You don't need defensive minded guys. Defense doesn't exist in today's league. Because it's not like it was back in the day. Because if you're a little bit too rough with somebody, you get it's a foul against you. Defense doesn't really exist in the league. Just saying. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome. We got more coming your way next. We're here on 1037 The Game, 1037TheGame.com.
0: Famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here in a Sports Station. 103.7 The Game on 103.7thegame.com. And let me tell you something, the Astros are heating up. We Caliente, 11 straight wins, looking to make it 12 this afternoon and potentially 13 if they sweep the doubleheader and shatter their all-time win streak. And you can catch up and listen to all the exciting action right here on 103.7 The Game, but you can sign up today in the 103.7 The Game clubhouse at 103.7thegame.com and enter in for the Astros weekend getaway. You can sign up today for a chance to win four tickets and a $200 Visa gift card for Houston's home game against those New York Yankees on Saturday, July the 10th. So make sure to sign up today to enter to win at 1037thegame.com. Astros Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, JJ Exterminating, and 1037thegame Acadiana Sports Station. Hell, Astros, Yankees, right before the All-Star break, I think it's the perfect time to enter in the Rewards Club. Like, seriously, this is probably one of the best times to go do so. And if you want to get on the conversation, 103.7 The Game Hotline is open. 103.7 The Game, excuse me, 337-706-0111. And of course, we're coming to you line for the first South Farm Credit Studios. I want to, this will be a quick segment here, because I don't want to spend too much time on this, because it's absolutely hysterical, is the Dallas Mavericks. And on top of the, the New Orleans Pelicans being a dumpster fire, I think they've I think the Dallas Mavericks have mastered that. And again, that's what happens when you have an owner that definitely has is interesting. I'll go ahead and say that. With Mark Cuban, obviously a more more of a, more of a freewheeler, a gambling man, homeboy out here going ahead and signing on Jason Kidd. Yes, Jason Kidd. By the way, I'll admit it. Jason Kidd, the player I love because I grew up like probably like my peak NBA watching years was as a teenager at the like beginning, like the three-peat era of the Lakers. That was when I was really hugely into it. I mentioned this before is that it was largely because of Shaq. Shaq was the guy that I always was rooting for, pulling for. I remember rooting for him when he was with the Magic. A lot more when it was with the Lakers when they had that three-peat run. But then you had LeBron come into the league. And I loved LeBron coming out of the league because I saw his stuff out of high school. The dude was just a monster in the dunk contest. He had so much just... Every time he turned around, they had highlights of him on the four-letter network. It really shows how much of a -a once-in-a-lifetime type of talent he is. But he's still not the GOAT. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there again. But... Jason Kidd was somebody who I always enjoyed watching especially in the All-Star games cuz he was a lot more he wasn't as much like like the flash like we saw guys like Kobe and Shaq and LeBron as well where they had this like swag and style about him. Kidd was straight up a phenomenal like technician. Like I talk about pro wrestling a lot and I have a podcast, Cage Strong Style podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, go do so. Make sure you subscribe today. However, you get your podcast, just search Cajun Strong Style. We haven't put out an episode yet this week. I might be taping that after the show and making a lot of apologies for not dropping an episode this past Monday. We might be dropping another one on Monday as well because I've got a lot of things to talk about in pro wrestling. But in pro wrestling, one of the things I've always loved is guys who are much more technicians and have the fundamentals down pat. Somebody like Jason Kidd, I remember seeing him all the time in the skills challenges. He was a beast on that in that role, and I remember watching him a lot when he was with the New Jersey Nets back in the day. He was a phenomenal player back then. Didn't get nearly as much love as somebody like, let's say, Steve Nash or somewhere along those lines, but Jason Kidd was a hell of a player. Hell of a player. Loved watching him play. Hell, loved the fact that the Dallas Mavericks actually beat LeBron in the heat in the first year of that super team, because again, I always am going to root for the underdog. I'm ne- I can never root for the super team. I can never. It's it's. I, I'm not like Foot. I cannot and will not root for the team that's bought their team, like like the Yankees. I'll root. I've rooted for the Red Sox, but that was more whenever they were in the process of breaking the curse of the Bambino and making it to the World Series and winning it all in 0-4. I was rooting for him then because I was like, hey, I wanted to see the underdog win. But obviously I was more of an Astros guy. That was back when the Astros were the NL. But for me, Jason Kidd was a health player. As a coach, who boy. Not exactly what I was thinking as a head coach. And this whole like last year, when the coaching search started for the Pelicans, I said, Don't hire Jason Kidd. Do not even consider it. And the Dallas Mavericks have gone and done that. And then they also hired a longtime Nike exec, Nico Harrison, to be the GM and run the franchise's basketball operations. Yikes. And again, Kidd has the endorsement of not only Rick Carlisle, but his former teammate, Dirk Davitsky, a legend with the Mavericks. And that makes, again, really proving something I was talking about earlier. That even though on paper it feels like the good old boys' networks are starting to fade away, Classify themselves as obsolete. Case in point, like you look at the Cajuns, like I, I can remember reading and hearing a lot of people online after Scott Farmer resigned as the athletic director for the Cajuns before we got Dr. Brian Maggard. There was a good bit of time where people were uncertain about what the future was holding for this program without an athletic director. Is this going to be going towards a good old boys network or something else? The national search. Is it really a national search? There was a lot of questions. Then you want up drifting away from that good old boys network, getting somebody like a Dr. Brian Mackard and getting somebody in place that was able to be a lot more transparent with the people, with the public, and more importantly, with us, the media. That's where I'm at with this. And the Cajuns are absolutely doing an outstanding job from a lot of different perspectives because they pushed away From the good old boys. Dallas, definitely good old boys network. Because Rick Carlisle was the head coach for damn near a decade after floundering over in Indiana back in the early 2000s. I think outside of a couple moments, there was nothing really much to write home about about the Indiana Pacers in the early 2000s. Now you have Rick Carlisle, who was head coach for over a decade, led the team to the NBA title. He moved on. He stepped down to go ahead and just jump over to Indiana. The Pelicans would have been great, Would have been smart to hire him. But, you know, that's the nature of the beast. And now Mark Cuban has a lot of issues on his hands. Because this franchise, under control of a former Nike exec and Jason Kidd being your head coach, not exactly the greatest optics in the world. But that goes back to what I was saying about the Pelicans. This is why it's important incredibly important to get the right guy. Cause you can either get a phenomenal coach, a guy that has potential, like a Jacques Vaughn, or, you know, you can go ahead and get everything else in a Stan van Gundy or a Jason Kidd. I'm hopeful I'm wrong about Jason Kidd, but the track record speaks for itself at least in my point of view. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back with more. You're listening to it right here on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. If you want to get on the conversation, three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. Back after this.
0: Don't lie because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's sports station. 1037 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game. 1037 The Game.com. You're surely the famous CD. Get your weekend started off right. And I'll mention it again because, well, in case you didn't know, last night Astros was postponed due to weather, and it's practically flooded over in the Motor City. You think it's just here, floods? No, in Detroit, Rock City, it is a little flooded. The Apparently some pipes burst, and who boy, it's not a great look, and apparently it is absolutely soaking there, according to Dusty Baker. He said this in a press conference that happened earlier today. In fact, I saw the starting lineup. I'll run that down for you right now. And I'll talk some, about some stuff going on in the MLB, more importantly about those Houston Nationals, because they've been absolutely looking great. But you'll hear all the action right here on 103.7, the game 12-10 is going to be first pitch for game one. Game two is going to be set for five ten. And Romy dropped the, and not Jim Rome, who had the smack off. And by the way, I'll, I'll give you the lineup in a second. But if you listen to the smack off yesterday, I'll, I'll say this. I think Brad and Corona deserved it after I listened to his clip, but I think Vic and no Cal deserves a lot of love because I felt like he got hosed pretty damn good by Jim Rome and the smack off yesterday, smack off 27. It was a really good one. I was able to listen to a good bit of it. Missed uh, like probably much of the last hour was busy getting everything ready for Jordy Holtberg. And if you know how much that is, it's a it's a lot. So I had to kind of get down to business from that perspective. Now let's get to Chandler Rome, who we've had on this show before, who have had, had on, on a lot of these different programs that we have here on 103.7 The Game. And the Astros will be starting off, lead, batting the lead off is Jose Altuve, who I think he was originally supposed to have a day off either today, either yesterday or the day before. I don't, remember, I don't remember, to be honest with you. But Altuve was going to have a day off. I think it might have been Thursday. But he had a day off. Now it's going to be Altuve. Michael Brantley batting second. Gurriel batting third. Jordan Alvarez batting fourth. Love that idea. You've got Carlos Correa batting fifth. Batting sixth is going to be Kyle Tucker. Roberto Garcia, who's been looking good lately. I'm going to say that. R- Roberto Garcia has been pretty good as well. It's him and like Toro have been guys who just rotate in and out of that lineup, and they work really well. Then you've got Chas McCormick batting eighth. Shout out to Chaz McCormick, too. He has been absolutely a surprise at this point in the season. He's been like a guy that popped up, I think, off the minor league rosters and just has never really left. He's all of a sudden just hitting the ball really well, getting a lot of home runs. He's been a surprise for this team, and that's a great thing to see. Then you got Castro. He'll be batting ninth. Obviously, Valdez is going to be starting game one. Game two is going to be the return of the Mac Colors or the— the McCullers Jr., he'll be in action for Houston later on today. But when it comes to the Astros, I like a lot of what I've seen from them as of late. There's been a lot of positives for them. I think the biggest thing for me is, I mean, during this win streak, has obviously been the hitting. I believe it was after the Orioles series wrapped up, somebody said they had a sit plus 60 run differential. One of the most dominant Teams offensively in a 10-game win streak since I think like the 1970s. That speaks to how impressive what they've done has been. And it's not just because of the hitting. It's because of the fact they're able to stop other teams from getting it done. I know I know they just play the Orioles, who are a complete dumpster fire. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're like, like 20 games back in the AL East. Which really speaks to how crappy they are. They're 21 and a half games back. The AL is very much a top-heavy league between the Rays, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Astros. Even even the A's are starting to drift down towards the median, which I am so freaking glad about, by the way. Because the Astros were gladly like just right behind the A's for about a week. As this win streak was starting, as they got into this 11-game win streak, they were always one game behind for one reason or another. And then we get to the White Sox series, and they open up a can of whoop-ass on, on on the White Sox, and they're able to take control of the AL West. Mind you, the Astros going to have to play the A's, I believe, in the next couple weeks. It might be after. Yeah, I think it's after the All-Star break. I'm actually looking at the Orioles schedule like a dummy. Because I to see something. But we got the, yeah, the A's are going to be playing at Houston on the week of July 6th. So after your last day off before the All-Star break, you got to play the A's at home. Then you host the Yankees. Before that, you travel to take on the Indians on 4th of July weekend at a four-game set after you play the Orioles yet again, which... My God, I I love to play the Orioles. If what I see every single night is you open up a can of whoop ass on them, if you lose to the Orioles and you end this losing and you and you have to end this like win streak on them, then it's a real kick in the you know what. But if you're able to head into this series against the Cleveland Indians and Cleveland does Cleveland very much feels like the major league team quite literally, and they've just been an absolute mess. You could very well be heading into this with a 17-game win streak. Now, of course, it's July. Anything can happen once you get into the postseason. But I got to think, this is probably the most impressive part of this Astros team, has been this stretch. And a lot of it, it's because of your starting pitching. It's been phenomenal. You're not having to rely nearly as much on your bullpen like like you did early on. Because that was the thing, something that hurt them a lot, is because you were having to rant people up. You're having to deal with the fact you don't have Framber Valdez as a regular starter. Now you got him. You got Jose Arquiti, who has looked really good. The other night he wound up having like seven shutout innings, only allowed you know, three hits and struck out 6 to wrap up the sweep against the Orioles. He was my player of the game in a game where you had 13 runs. You were gonna win no matter what. But his performance stood out to me. because he's a potential like star ace that could help you get a get a win down the road in the postseason. Now it's time to really start figuring out who in that trading block is going to be a absolute can't miss prospect. And I'm talking everybody. And you got to determine a lot of different things. If you're the Astros, how are you going to put this team together? How are you going to wind up trying to get this run going? Because let's be honest, if if last season was supposed to be that that medicine year, as Foot likes to call it, because I mean we're still waiting for that medicine season after the cheating scandal. The Astros were one game away from making the World Series after the cheating scandal caused their GM and coach to be fired. Dusty Baker almost led that team there to the promised land, if not for the Rays absolutely busting their heads open in the final game of the ALCS. And you also had the fact you, Randy Bobandi or Rosarena, he absolutely – by the way, that's what I call him going forward as Randy Bobandi because it makes much more sense. If you've ever seen the Trail Park Boys, you know what I'm talking about with Randy Bobandi. So Randy or Rosarena will now be christened on this show Randy Bobandi. But this Astros team, to a certain extent, on paper, heading into the season, wasn't supposed to be in this situation. A lot of people counted them out and had the um, uh, Oakland A's coming out of that division as the leaders in the clubhouse. Fast forward to now, I'm loving this setup because now you have everything going for you. You've proven... This, like, wacky six-man rotation is absolutely perfect. And I'm intrigued to see how it's going to go for the Astros going forward because there's a lot of questions surrounding how does everything turn out in the not-too-distant future for the Astros. Because, like, I've talked about it a lot after the season ended last year it felt like that was kind of your last hurrah to a certain extent, especially with Justin Verlander, because Justin Verlander feels like, and again, he can say all he wants that he's going to like come back, but until I actually see it, I don't believe it. And I don't think he'll ever put on the Astros uniform again. I think he's going to go somewhere else. I hope I'm wrong there, but it feels like it's highly unlikely. It will see him move on to somewhere else and trying to have one last run. At least it's just the way I see things. But if you want to call up 337-706-0111, we've got a little bit of time here. Obviously, we can talk about the new head coach for LSU. I think the LSU coaching search was done really well. Felt like things were very close to the vest. Everything felt like what we were getting from guys like Glenn Gilbo were dead on balls accurate. He was able to handle things with a plum. It's not because I feel like now in the world of journalism or lack thereof, in the case of social media and people like a, are you serious sports, maybe are almost wanting to be. I don't know. They they get their sources right a lot on the football front, but sometimes it just feels like there's a case of like being right versus being first. I'm not saying them in particular or that group and are you serious sports, but. Some to akin to that. It feels like to a certain extent it's always being right, being first versus being right. And Glenn Gilbo crushed it, saying that, you know, Jay Johnson was one of the three finalists and he wound up being the guy that took it all. Which, if you looked at the flight tracking stuff, like I did just randomly, I think like Tuesday night, and I saw that that day they made a trip up to Phoenix. And Phoenix is about an hour drive from Tucson, but I'm almost certain that Jay Johnson had a private meeting with them somewhere in Phoenix for about two for about a few hours, and then they parted ways, had a deal in place, and now Jay Johnson is your new head coach at LSU. I'm almost certain that's what that's what's happened. Then we get to what's happening with some of the coaches. I heard Troy Tulowitzki was a name that was bantied about. I'd be interested to see if that happens because if that if you get him, that's huge. Hell of a hitting coach. Now it's all about the pitching coach. Do you keep Alan Dunn if you're Jay Johnson? Because Alan Dunn's the one guy really left noteworthy on that coaching staff, and he's a pretty decent pitch coach. Some people give him grief for some of the injuries, but I think that's just the fact. That's just the nature of the sport now. I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole thing does indeed go. But there's a lot more to it than just what I'm saying. I think there's going to be some guys they have ready to go. And by the way, again, if you haven't checked out the 103.7 The Game Clubhouse yet, make sure you go do so today. We got all kinds of great stuff up for grabs, including... A hundred dollar Google Play gift card. Yes, you're be right. If you have an Android phone, you know about the Google Play Store. You can use this today to buy apps, games, music, movies, books. Who knows what else you can want? I'm getting tons of stuff. Even you know, I think you can use that for microtransactions. I've talked about this before. If you got a little one that loves him some Fortnite, this is a heck of a way to get some V Bucks. At least. From what I can remember, I haven't played that in years, but I'm almost certain people will know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure parents who have kids who play that game on their phone, I'm almost certain they know where I'm going at with this. Or any other games that have microtransactions, I think this will get you in the right direction. So make sure you sign up today at 103.7thegame.com and join the 103.7thegame clubhouse it's free to enter, free to join. You won't be spammed with a bunch of emails. And I'm about to wrap up this segment, and then we'll have one final take and lead you right into Astros baseball around 11.35 pregame, 12.10 first pitch. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out.
1: My one final take for this week's show, more revolves around the MLB. Talked about it a little bit more on the Astros' front. And my final take of the show involves the MLB and the ridiculous substance checks that are ruining the game even more than I thought they would. First off, you got dudes taking down their pants. I think that taking off their pants to get checked. This is a dumb idea, and it's, a, it's absolutely a joke to me. And it further proves why I think the MLB just loves to shoot itself in the foot. Every single time you turn around, you have issues. You've got the league absolutely imploding upon itself, and almost certain. you know, it, again, it's justifiably somewhat. But if you have somebody, again, this is what happens. You got somebody like a Joe Girardi out there. The second he sees somebody actually performing really well, he's absolutely saying, "Oh, this guy's sus. He's he's sus." And we're gonna go ahead and take him out and like check him. And he does it three times, even though, like, after you get checked the first time, I think that should be justifiable enough that you don't have to ever get checked for the rest of the game. And if the coach wants to check him again, then that should be, like, a warning for the coach. If he does it again, he's ejected. There's a way to handle this stuff. I understand how important it is to protect the sanctity of a game that was definitely sullied back in the 2000s with the steroid era. In the 90s as well, but we more talking about the 2000s era of baseball. In the late 90s, early 2000s. Let's go ahead and just put it in that range because, obviously, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, those were the holy triad of ruining the sport of baseball, at least somewhat. But now it's – and it's all done to keep home runs a thing because home runs just weren't necessarily flying out of the ballpark this year at a certain point. You had a lot of no-hitters. You just had a combined no-no this year to tie the all-time record for no-hitters in a single season. That's not what the league wants. That's not what the fans want. The fans want to see dingers. And they've been getting dingers. And they've been getting big plays and really highly entertaining ball games. But when it comes to handling certain things in the league, namely a guy like Gerrit Cole, who has thankfully been not necessarily great with the Yankees, which as an Astros fan and as a person who hates the Yankees, Got to love it. You love to see it. Now, we're at the point where we're going to make these very tough decisions. And the and this MLB needs to make a decision. And they're in the camp of we're making the right decision for our players, for our fans. But at the end of the day, I'm almost certain probably most of your fans aren't necessarily huge on the idea. But that's going to about do it for today's show. Appreciate everybody for listening in and everybody who called in on the show this week. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad job. I love the fact that like now I'm hoping for the foreseeable future this show does not get bumped around, messed with, preempted, outside of maybe a couple times a year. It will be able to have Under the Dome with CD each and every Saturday from 9 to 11, starting your weekend off on the right foot. As we approach football season Trust me. I'll say this before we get out of here. I had an idea for this week's show that got scrapped because of all the news about Jake Johnson, Pelicans coaching search, all that. I'm going to rehash it next week if more breaking news doesn't happen about LSU or the Pelicans or the Saints. I've got some ideas I'm saving for next week, more on the football front because now that the calendar is starting to flip over to July – we're talking a lot more football going forward. So you've been listening to Under the Dome with CD right here 1037 the game and 1037theGame.com. Peace.
0: Hey Clevance! Wake up. The
1: show's on. Oh
0: yeah. Kick
1: it.